All right, well, thank you, teens, and Miss Jen. Get my lapel mic on here. But uh, again, we're glad to be here, proud of these teens, grateful for what God is doing in their lives and, and already through their lives as they uh, allow God to use their talents uh, for His glory and honor. I want to say definitely a thank you to, to the many people who help with teens uh, in services, who uh, drive church vehicles to pick teens and, and children and adults up for services. And hopefully everybody here who will take the time, uh, either you, know, you already are or you'll be willing to, to just take a few moments and pray for our teens. I hope you pray for the children in our church and the adults, but definitely the teens are a great group, and that's why Satan wants to mess them up. Uh, they are doing something for God. They're, they do a lot of things that the devil doesn't like. I can guarantee you that because they do a lot of things that God does like. And I'll, I'll be honest, I know you often see just a small group up here on a Sunday evening Next Generation service, but we're also seeing many come back on Wednesdays now that we've been able to have VBS and start the bus and the van routes again. Uh, we've seen, I believe, more than 20 different teens come on Wednesdays since Vacation Bible School, averaging about 12 to 15 different teens during that time. It was just a couple weeks ago, Brother Jeremy, after my message, got to counsel with a young man about salvation, and he did not accept Christ as Savior, but asked a lot of great questions. You can tell his heart is tender, and I won't share his name just for sake of privacy, but you can just pray for that one teen. First time ever on our property, and already raising his hand, looking to know more about salvation, and God's at work in that young man's life, and I'm, I'm grateful for what he's doing. Had another teen that comes every Wednesday that uh, will hustle here. His schedule makes it tough for him to get here on time, and uh, he is rarely, if ever, late. Uh, just does everything he can. That's a young man that got saved at Vacation Bible School, and just such a thrill there. And many are interested, many teens are interested in coming to the Harvest Rally. We get to go. I've told them it's kind of like a one-day mini camp at the edge again. Great speaker who Miss Jen and I know of, personally heard him speak before, and obviously a great camp and a great ministry. And they're excited to come. We pull out at 5.45 in the morning on a Saturday. And teens are excited to come. You can tell God's doing something. Now, I keep telling them it's a three-hour drive, so just get in the van, lean on your pillow, and go back to sleep for three hours. We'll see whether they do or not. I've heard a couple of them saying they're just going to stay up all night rather than get up that early, so we'll see. I imagine by the end of that day, we'll have a very quiet van ride home. I imagine that'll be the case. But there are some who are just inviting others. We had two young ladies here last Wednesday. I think it was their first time ever on our property ever coming. And they, I believe, both signed up to come to the Harvest Rally. Hopefully they went home and cleared that with mom and dad. I'm pretty sure we'll follow up with that. But uh, please continue to pray for and support the teen ministry. God is at work in so many ways. We're grateful for the opportunities to have teens get involved here on Sunday nights. And you can definitely know that God's bringing other ones in on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. And God's got a great work he's doing. Well, as we dig into the Word of God tonight, looking at this idea of how to make more room for Jesus, how to make more room for Jesus in our lives. If you have Jesus as your Savior, He's in your life. That isn't going to change. But if you're anything like me, some stuff kind of clogs up that hole. Now, it's been said by many that uh, everybody is born with a God-sized hole that we can try to fill with different things. I liked how this one author put it. it said, he said, it's been said that trying to fill the God-sized hole in our hearts with things other than God is like trying to fill the Grand Canyon with marbles. First of all, you can tell, trying to fill the Grand Canyon with marbles, trying to fill 
the, the longing for God in our lives with anything but God, it's not going to work. And in either the illustration with the Grand Canyon or the illustration with our lives, what's going to happen is it's going to make a mess. Again, you can imagine getting plane loads full of marbles trying to fill the Grand Canyon. Nothing but a horrible mess. But not nearly as much of a mess as we'll make of our lives if we try to fill our lives, find meaning, find purpose, find hope, joy, peace with anything but God. I've heard, and I, as far as I know that it's, this is true, that celery, it takes more calories to digest celery than what are in celery. So what that tells me in my mischievous mind is that a person could constantly nonstop eat celery and starve to death while eating celery. And that's just weird to me. Why anyone wants to eat celery without peanut butter on it is beyond me anyway. But uh, again, you could starve to death while nonstop eating. We need to recognize our need for Jesus in our lives. Otherwise, we may be, even as Christians, starving to death spiritually while constantly trying to fill that hole with something else. Again, I've heard that said about celery. Never heard it said about a thick steak. You're not going to starve to death eating a thick steak, so that's more my speed there than a bunch of celery. And as easy as it is to drift away and try to fill our lives with something other than Jesus, I've never felt hunger pains other than for more and more when I've been filling my life with Jesus. I've tried to fill my life with other things, find that, even as a Christian, find that meaning and purpose in other places. But it's never worked. But when I turn to Jesus, it works so well. We need to recognize that need. Paul expresses it so well, how we can make more room for Jesus in 2 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 7. And it says, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that, I might, that it might depart from me. And he, God, said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. So just right here at the beginning of the message, let me just ask you, how much room do you have for Jesus? And are you willing to empty yourself of any sins that the Holy Spirit points out? Empty yourself of any non-sins, but things that have, you've shoved into that hole trying to fill your life? Empty yourself to be filled more and more by God. I hope that's where each of us will be. And if the Holy Spirit touches our lives in any way, points out something in our lives that we're trying to shove into that hole, I hope we'll be willing to abandon that and look to Jesus. Let's pray, and we'll look at three specific ways from this passage that the Apostle Paul says we can have more room for Jesus in our lives. Father God, thank you that you want to be more and more into our lives. If we have you as Savior, you're already forever in our hearts, in our lives, and you're not going to leave. You're never going to leave us nor forsake us, but that we can give you more and more of our lives. We can have more room for you to work in our lives, and then to work through our lives. If there's anything in any of our lives that needs to go to make more room for you, I pray that you'll help each of us to make any needed changes there. Thank you. Thank you for these teens. I do pray for the ones who are here, the ones who weren't able to make it tonight with different family things going on, and then those who maybe just come on Wednesdays and different things like that. I pray for each of them. 
for any who are unsaved to get saved in the near future, even this week, and uh, for them to be salt and light in their communities. Many of them come from challenging home situations. Maybe they're the only Christian in their family. Many of them, they may be the only Christian in their public school classroom and different things. And I pray that you'll strengthen them, help them to make more room in their lives for Jesus, and help each of us here tonight to do that as well. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for walking through life with us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. First of all, if we want to make more room in our lives for Jesus, we need to constantly point other people to Jesus. And to do that, it's very simple and yet so challenging on a daily basis. If we're going to, I mean, you can just think of two fingers, your, your pointers, and I'm not doing the little kid's trick of, well, if you point at someone, you've got fingers pointing back at you. You can just think of two fingers. I can't point at God in myself at the same time. A really simple illustration. I'm sure none of your minds were just blown. But at the same time, I think a lot of the time we think, oh, my life can be so much about me and I'm filling that hole with my ego or, or accomplishment or this promotion or this or that or friends or whatever it is even sinful things, and I can do that and still point to Jesus. No, doesn't work that way. The Apostle Paul, going back to 2 Corinthians 12, verse 1, and we'll read up through verse 7 in just a moment, he really shows how there was temptation there, no doubt, for him to focus on himself, for him to boast, for him to become arrogant. Now, in several passages in 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul does kind of defend his apostleship. He does kind of, of necessity from what was going on in some people's lives in the church of Corinth, some accusations. He does explain how he had a right to be talking to them, how he had a right and authority from God, nothing to brag about on himself, but he did have authority. He was an apostle. He had met Jesus. He wasn't behind anybody in those things, and therefore they should be willing to listen to him. But even then, it's just defending his right to point people to Jesus. But as we read verses 1 through 6 especially, you can see he had a lot that he could have focused on himself. But instead, he constantly wanted to point others to Jesus. He was able to keep room in his life for Jesus to work in and through him more and more. Because he pointed not at himself, but at his Savior. Verse 1 of 2 Corinthians 12 he says, it's not expedient. it is not expedient for me doubtless to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such an one caught up to the third heaven. So this person I'm talking about had this amazing, amazing experience. As you read on, as you look at it, it's obvious that this was the Apostle Paul himself. But verse 3 says, And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth, how that he was caught up into paradise, and heard unspeakable words which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such an one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in, in mine infirmities. So he's saying, I'm not, not going to brag about this experience. I, I, you know, it's all about God. And I'm going to glory in my infirmities. Verse 6, For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. You can just think about it. How many of us, we get caught up into heaven, hear heavenly language, hear spiritual deep things of God that we can't even utter back on earth. How many of us would be like, I'm going to put that on Facebook. I'm going to, you know, put that on social media. I'm going to tell everybody, oh, it's about me. Man, I don't know 
That would be a hard test for me to keep the focus on Jesus. Thankfully, the Apostle Paul, great man, used of God. But notice in verse 7, that's the context there. Verse 7, and lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelation. So to help me, not to hinder me, but to help me to be able to point others to Jesus and not myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. I think the Apostle Paul got it. If we are full of ourselves, we have no room for Jesus. And I've found where there are areas of my life where it's really easy to stay humble, to, to not think of myself highly, you know, to not, not get focused on myself, to think about myself less. And then there are areas where it's hard. And there are times where it's easy. And there are times where it's hard. But I've also found it's always worth it to stay humble, always worth it to brag but on Jesus, not on ourselves. It's always worth it to point others to Jesus. So just something to think about. How much can God use you and me before we start to focus on ourselves and become filled with pride? Again, I admit it. Verses 1 through 6, caught up into heaven hearing and seeing those amazing things. I would have had a hard time not bragging. I'm the one that God did that for. I'm the one that got to experience that. Paul was used a lot. And I think part of the reason why is that he constantly used whatever he had um, to point people to Jesus. Whatever he accomplished to point people to Jesus. It's interesting. Speaking of the Israelites, jump into the Old Testament for just a quick moment. In Psalm 78, verse 40, uh, it says, How oft did they, the Israelites, provoke him, God, in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. Now, God's sovereign. He can decide what he's going to do and what he's not going to do in and through someone's life. But God had more to do in those Israelites' lives and through their lives, and they limited God with their sin. They missed out on so much. And I just wonder how much you and I might miss out on what God has to do in our lives and through our lives, giving us that inner peace and contentment and fulfillment and using it in outward ways in so many areas, and we limit him with our sin, or we limit him with our pride. It's amazing. The Apostle Paul really points out something. I'd never thought about it quite this way. Often our trials provide safeguards. He, he looks at it as a blessing. I would have had a hard time not getting arrogant about everything God used me to do, all the revelations, all the visions, everything there. But this thorn in the flesh... And no, I will not be telling you some firm opinion on what I think the, the thorn in the flesh was. You can look that up. Some say eyesight. I've heard migraine headaches. Uh, I've heard all sorts of different things. The bottom line is the Bible doesn't say for sure. Uh, Apostle Paul did seem to have bad eyesight. But no matter what it was, Paul looked at it as a helpful thing that kept him in check, kept his flesh, kept his pride in check, kept him from going too far. The difficulty he had... That was not a punishment. He looked at it as a safeguard. The beginning part of verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 12, we read it a moment ago, but it says, Unless I should be exalted, lifted up above measure through the abundance of the revelations, through everything God's shown me and done through me, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. It was allowed, the difficulty, the thorn in the flesh, again, whatever it was, it was allowed as a help, not a hindrance and not a punishment. Now, sometimes it is a punishment that maybe brings us down a little lower and can help us as well. But sometimes we go through a difficulty, and if we'll let God use it, we can point others to Jesus through it. 
but we can also allow it to help us keep ourselves in check, to help us from getting all lifted up with pride and all focused on ourselves. And I wonder how often we're like, God, why are you taking me through this bad thing? And it might be a very difficult thing. But it's a situation like the Apostle Paul went through where it's actually God allowed it to help the Apostle Paul. Who knows what he might have done? Who knows how far off the deep end of pride he may have jumped? Great man, and so, I, I mean, I don't know. think he would have done far better than I would have. But who knows how much he may have limited God without the help of this thorn in the flesh. It was allowed as a help, not a hindrance. One commentator just kind of put God's thoughts toward Paul in his own words here. and said, said it this way. He said, just remember, Paul, that although I have not given you what you asked for, yet I am giving you what you need most deeply. You want my power and strength to accompany your preaching, don't you? Well, the best way to have that happen is for you to keep, be kept in a place of weakness. And how often does God have something amazing to do, and yet we're hung up on, oh, this isn't easy, this is hard, and God wants to use it to point people to him. Warren Wearsby said this, When you walk along the shore of the ocean... You notice that the rocks are sharp in the quiet coves, but polished in those places where the waves beat against them. God can use the waves and billows of life to polish us if we'll let him. 1 Peter 1.7 says it this way, That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. God wants to take our faith. God wants to take our lives and maybe knock off some, right, some, some rough edges, knock off whatever he needs to for us to be able to point people to him more purely. And sometimes it's not a punishment. The Apostle Paul, as far as we can tell from Scripture, was not needing a course correction. He wasn't going the wrong way, heading into pride, and needed to be brought low with this thorn in the flesh. But God can see down the road. And who knows, may have been just a little ways down the road, the Apostle Paul makes it clear, he gets it, that he may have been tempted. It may have been easy for him, without the thorn in the flesh, to get exalted and think about himself and stop pointing people to Jesus. So maybe the trial, maybe the difficulty is something that God allows, not because of something we are doing wrong, but to keep us safe, to protect us there. Story goes that in 1799, uh, Conrad Reed discovered a 17-pound rock while fishing in Little Meadow Creek. Not knowing what it was made of, his family used it as a doorstop for three years. In 1802, his father, John Reed, took it to a jeweler who identified it as a lump of gold worth about $3,600 at the time, much more now, no doubt. That lump of gold, which was used as a doorstop for three years in North Carolina, is one of the biggest gold nuggets ever found east of the Rockies. Until its composition what was determined, its value was unknown. Even so, until the composition of our faith is determined, its strength is unknown. God allows trials in our lives not to hurt us, but to strengthen and to prove us. If we're going to, allow, uh, if we're going to make more room for Jesus in our lives, we first of all need to point people to Jesus, allow him to bring those safeguards into our lives, allow him to use even difficulties we face to point people to Jesus. Second, we need to trust that God's bigger plan truly is the best plan. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 8, first of all, says, For this thing, the removal of the thorn in the flesh, besought the, I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. First part of verse 9, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. God had a perfect plan for Paul. 
and some great reminders for us. First of all, we should pray often and repeatedly. How many of us is it tempting to say, well, I prayed for, for so-and-so, I prayed for this situation, and now I'm done. God can do with it what he wants. That's not what the Apostle Paul did. He prayed thrice, three times. And I imagine, I don't know for sure, but I imagine that was not breakfast one morning. Hey, God, can you remove this? Lunch, hey, thank you for the food. Can you remove this? Supper, hey, God, thanks for a great day. Thank you for this food. One more time, and I'm done. God, could you remove this? I imagine it was three seasons of prayer. Again, I don't know that for sure. But I imagine this was three specific times of seeking the Lord fervently. Knowing the Apostle Paul, again, I don't know, but it may have been fasting. I mean, again, fervent prayer, no doubt. And how many of us, if we do breakfast, lunch, and dinner one day, mumble through a prayer about something, those three times, we're done. No, he sought the Lord. 2 Corinthians 12, 8 says, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. I've heard it said in a sermon, I believe it was by Dr. Jim Shetler, that we shouldn't pray lazy, hazy, or crazy prayers. Um, if you've ever heard Jim Shetler preach, he makes things very easy to remember. So it probably was him with those three rhyming words. But we don't need to pray lazy prayers where it's just vain repetition, just mumbling through it. We should pray with, as the Bible says, importunity. Maybe three seasons, maybe five or ten or fifteen seasons as the Lord directs us. of fervent prayer for God to act, for God to change, for God to move something. For us to know God's best plan. For us to get on board with God's bigger plan that is the best. It's amazing how motivated, how creative, how enduring a child or a teen is when they're asking mom and dad for something. You ever seen that? Now, now kids, teens, you, you never do that, right? Do, do you get the creative part? Do you at least try to butter mom and dad up, ask them just right, you know, for something? Maybe you should. You might get yes answers more often. I don't know. But it's amazing. And, and for you, you might be like, oh, that's kids stuff. That's teen stuff. Well, I'm an adult. Yeah, you ever want, like, something from your boss? Uh, you know, maybe a spouse, I don't know. And you're asking about something, trying to make it work. Maybe a business partner, who knows. And we'll do the same things. We'll get creative. Ask once and give up? Nah, why would I do that? But how often do we do that with God? And it's just almost a lazy prayer. There's not fervency. Or it'll be a hazy prayer. So unclear, so nonspecific, we never even know if God answered them. I've heard it said, pray for such big and specific prayers that when God answers them, we'll know that he has answered them. And by the way, no is an answer. I don't always feel this way in the moment, but if God tells me no like he told Paul no here, it really is a privilege to have heard from the Almighty God. The fact that he would take time of the billions of people on earth, many, many, many of them praying to him every day, and he'd give me a specific answer to a specific question. No doesn't always sit well with me. I'm human. I struggle there too. But at the same time, it's a privilege to hear even that. And I think that's part of what the Apostle Paul gets at here. Let's pray specifically. Let's pray for God's help. And by the way, specifically doesn't mean we have to have the whole situation figured out. You know, God help is a good prayer at times, but sometimes we can be more specific, have something we can write down. Talked about that in teen Sunday school this morning about keeping a prayer journal, jotting down prayers that you're praying about. So when God answers them, you can make a note. I told him I do a, my, my prayer list is on my phone just because I lose papers. I don't usually lose my phone. So I just do it there and I'll bold the prayer request once it's answered. And then I get to look through it and praise God about that and see what he's done. So no lazy, hazy, or crazy prayers. Talked about that some in teen Sunday school this morning as well. Praying for things that we know are wrong. God, do you want me to do this? Can I, can I do this? And it's a sin. 
It, it's something that's wrong. Or maybe we'll pray for something that we know is bad for us. We know is against the Bible or God's will. So we don't need to pray those things, but we should pray often. We should pray repeatedly. We don't have to be incredibly creative and butter God up or anything like that. But let's come to him knowing his bigger plan is the best plan and asking him to show us in his perfect time what that is and what he has for us. Let's be willing to pray. But then let's accept God's answers to our prayers. Verse 9, the first part, Paul says, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And what follows is Paul faithfully serving God. Not Paul pouting. Not Paul saying, oh, I would have kept serving God, but he said no. Not Paul wavering in ministry, really saying how this is a good thing that God said no, that God gave him this thorn in the flesh and kept the thorn in the flesh there. Let's be willing to accept God's answers for prayer. It's been said that successful servant, uh, service for Christ depends on a weak servant. The weaker he is, the more power of Christ accompanies his preaching. Or we could apply that to any area of service. If we're going to make room for Jesus in our lives, we need to trust that his bigger plan truly is the best plan. We need to pray for it. We need to pray about it. We need to seek his plan and trust him all along the way. And then lastly, if we're going to make more room for Jesus, we need to welcome weakness. And that one's tough. But we need to be open to it. We need to welcome the areas in our life, not spiritual weakness. Oh, I struggle with this sin. I can be excited. No, but maybe it's a thorn in the flesh, just like the apostle Paul had. Maybe it's some other difficulty. Maybe it's some other challenge. We need to welcome that as an opportunity where God can use that to empty us of ourselves and our confidence in ourselves, our confidence in our own flesh and fill us more and more with him. We need to even be excited when we see, okay, I can't do anymore. I've got nothing in this situation. I can't do it. I'm empty. Great. God can fill us. Verse 9 says, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. The Apostle Paul got it. It wasn't when he thought he was strong in and of himself that he was strong. It was when he was weak, when he was maybe even at the end of his rope. Again, we don't know exactly what the thorn in the flesh was. We don't know if that was a problem sometimes, a problem every day, a problem most days, constant, debilitate. I, I don't know. Again, if it was eyesight, the, the Bible shows where there's different secu secretaries or amanuenses that uh, write, that actually pen the books of the Bible that Paul wrote that's in several. So if it was actually eyesight, Maybe he was physically unable to pen those words. Again, God used him and every word came through Paul through, from the Holy Spirit. But maybe he wasn't actually able to put pen to paper. And how it's such a difficult thing when you see his heart for the churches and the message from God. Again, I'm not sure. But this was a difficult thing. And yet he was willing to take pleasure in the difficulties because he knew that was the secret to having that weakness be used, having his life have more room for Jesus. So instead of wallowing in weakness, let's welcome weakness because of the extra grace it brings and the extra room for Jesus it fills up. Charles Ryrie sums it up this way. The power of Christ in him, in, in Paul, not, not in God, excuse me. The power of Christ in Paul was more important than freedom from pain. Whatever your pain, 
is, whatever might come to mind, maybe even in a smaller sense about a thorn in the flesh, whatever difficulty or trial you might be going through. And by the way, I've heard there are three types of people. Those who are going through a trial, those who just went through one, or those who are about to. It's going to be a part of life here on earth. But whatever that is, are we willing to say the power of Christ in us is more important even than this thing being removed? What a way to welcome weakness and welcome more influence from God. We need to remember that God's plans always come with his help. First part of verse 9, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. There was a man who was apprehensive about his first ever airplane ride. His friends were eager to hear how it went and asked if he enjoyed the flight. Well, he commented, it wasn't as bad as I thought it might be, but I'll tell you this, I never did put all my weight down. And again, hopefully if you fly, you're not just like tense and trying to keep some weight off the ground. Obviously, it's silly. Don't know if that's a true story. But with God, we can put our confidence in him. Even if we're weak, we don't have it. We can put our weight down. It's a legitimate question, not expecting an answer out loud. Are you willing to put your weight down in what God's called you to do? Just us here and whoever's watching online. But uh, have you ever served God without going all in, without putting your weight down, without jumping head first into trust? I have. Uh, and praise God, by His grace, I've done it the other way, where I'm in. God, you called me, I'm in. I, I don't have it, I'm weak, I'm in. And I go all in. Those go a lot better than when I'm not putting my weight down, when I'm timidly trying to trust God and trust myself. No, we need to be willing to trust God. Remember that His plans come with His help. We can jump all in. Paul Chappell tells this story. Uh, when he first arrived on the mission field in China, someone asked Robert Morrison if he expected to make a great spiritual impact on that vast country. He replied, no, sir, but I expect God will. It wasn't up to him. And he probably did. I was in a, a Daily in the Word devotion from a couple weeks back. He probably did make quite a difference in China because he recognized he couldn't. He recognized he was weak. He recognized it wasn't up to him, but it was up to God. He was willing to welcome that weakness. Often our trials and weaknesses, they give us a megaphone or a neon sign. You can pick your image there to tell others, to point others about Jesus, to Jesus. But if we welcome them, God will use them in that way. But if we wallow in the weakness, oh, why is this happening? Why is this happening to me? I don't deserve it. By the way, the Apostle Paul had done nothing to deserve his thorn in the flesh. He served God so faithfully, God knew he needed the thorn in the flesh in order to serve God more faithfully. God brought it to help, not as a punishment at all. God did it as a safeguard to help him. And we can use our weaknesses as we welcome them as a megaphone, as a neon sign to say it's all about Jesus. Let's see what he's doing through me. Uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, the second part says, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. It was in another recent devotion, Paul Chapel wrote this. He said, The trials of life cannot stop us from serving God unless we choose to allow them to do so. And how many times have you and I at least been tempted to wallow in our weakness? To say, oh, I'd serve God if, man, if I had more money, I'd give a bunch. Probably not. Usually if we're not giving now, we wouldn't give more. Oh, if I had a lot more time, I didn't. Probably not. If we're not giving our time now, we probably wouldn't if we got more time. You might think, I don't have enough strength. Great. God does. It's easy to think, I don't have enough talent to serve God. Great. God's looking for willing people not necessarily talented people. It's easy to think, I don't have enough experience. Great. 
God won't have to unteach a bunch of worldly wisdom. You ever try to teach someone something and they weren't good at it, but they thought they were? And you got to unteach a bunch of stuff? You might be like, oh, I'd step in. I'd, I'd serve as a Sunday school teacher. I'd love to do this or that, but I don't know how. Great. Let God teach you. I don't have enough experience. Wonderful. Come weak and let God use you. But so often it's so easy to want to come thinking we're strong and we're limiting God. He's got so much more he wants to do, and we're in the way. When it comes to our weaknesses, let's welcome it, even if it's a trial, even if it's a difficulty, because it's something God can use. Husbands, you ever call your wives your better half? If you, if you haven't, you might want to at some point. She probably is. I mean, you know. But it's the better half idea, because God, because that spouse, excuse me, can, can complete us and fill in so many gaps Let's allow God to do that way more than a spouse ever could. To come in, to be not our better half, to be our everything. To allow God to use us in those ways. And let's remember that human strength, talent, confidence can actually make it easier to miss out on God's strength for our lives. 2 Corinthians 12.10, Apostle Paul says, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. J. Hudson Taylor said, all God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on God being with them. Let's allow Jesus to fill in our gaps, fill in our weaknesses. Let's even be excited when we realize we're not enough because we never are enough. But some things in our life can help us to recognize that and to rely on God entirely. And then it's him filling up our lives. It's him filling up our gaps. It's him working in our lives and through our lives. If we're going to make more room for Jesus in our lives, we need to be willing to welcome weakness. It was just this morning, I was reading in the book of Ezekiel. I was actually reading my, my FBI homework. So uh, if you're caught up, if you're current on uh, your FBI homework, um, I do finish mine on Mondays, so maybe you're a day ahead of me. I don't know. But what I read this morning in Ezekiel for Faith Bible Institute uh, was from Ezekiel 43. And in this passage, God is showing Ezekiel the, the sins of the Jews throughout the book of Ezekiel, the punishment that was coming and even had started to come through Babylonian captivity, and then the restoration that God would eventually bring. After describing the coming new temple in detail, God gives this challenge in verse 11. And I read it, and I'm like, that needs to go in my message tonight. It's an amazing, amazing thing, Ezekiel 43, 11. It says, and if, by the way, if's a big word there. And if they, the, the people of Israel, the people, the Jews that have been doing wrong, worshiping idols, rejecting me, going into captivity, doubting the fact that I'm telling them they'll go into captivity. And if they be ashamed of all that they have done, show them the form of the house and the fashion thereof and the goings out thereof and the coming in, comings in thereof and all the forms thereof and all the ordinances thereof and all the forms thereof and all the laws thereof and write it in their sight that they may keep the whole form thereof and all the ordinances thereof and do them. So to show them all these details, if they're ashamed of what's wrong that they've done, if they're saying, God, we've gone away from you, we're coming back to you. God, I don't know if the circumstances are getting easier or harder, if the punishment's coming or going, but God, we've been wrong, we turn back to you, our idol worship is wrong. If they're ashamed of the wrong they're doing, then show them all this stuff of what's coming. By the way, if they weren't ashamed, they miss out. They don't repent of their sins, they don't get to hear what was coming. Now, God had promised that that was coming. It was going to come, but they didn't get to hear about it then unless they were ashamed of their sin. 
God had more to show them if they'd get their sin out of their way. And God has more to show us, more to do in our lives and through our lives if we'll get sins out of the way. God has more to do through us and in us if we'll point others to him, not to ourselves. If we'll trust that God's bigger plan truly is the best plan. And if we'll be willing even to welcome the weaknesses in our lives so that God can use them. Let's pray. God, you're big. You're awesome. You are in control. You are sovereign. We love you. And thank you that even when we're weak, you can use us, sometimes especially when we're weak. And really, we're always weak. We don't have enough strength of ourselves to go through tomorrow, let alone the rest of our lives, let alone who knows what this week may hold. We don't have enough strength to go through trials and difficulties, but you want to take those and use them in our lives. And I pray that we will be empty of ourselves empty of our sin, get rid of anything you're showing to us even right now, and be empty of any confidence in ourselves and have our full confidence be in you and that you'll use us. I pray that like Pastor John preached this morning, that'll start with each of us individually and be in our marriages, in our homes, in our church, and ultimately eventually around the world because we allow you to be the one working in and through us. May my life, may each of our lives be entirely at your disposal to use any way you see fit. God, we're weak, and we look for you to strengthen us. We can't do it apart from you, but you want to do great things in our lives and through our lives, and I pray that you will. Show us anything, show me anything that needs to change for that to happen. We thank you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You are dismissed.